Hi, welcome to Listeners Everywhere. My name is Phil Dye. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Professor John Whitehall, um, a paediatric specialist with over 30 years experience, and he'll be talking about uh, gender dysphoria and really focusing in on puberty blockers and the impact that they have on the individual. And you're going to hear the words of Bunny, uh, now someone who's 20 years old, but who started the gender transition process at school at the age of 16. A girl with a trauma background um, who transitioned to a boy and has now detransitioned. Here's some words from uh, a recent tweet from Bunny. The trans community lied to me. When I was a teenager, I was told that this discomfort I was feeling is just that I was meant to be a boy. And that if I transitioned, I would feel great. I would feel euphoric. It would be, it would be everything. But looking back, I think if someone at that time would have just said, no, just told me no. Just been like, no, you, we're gonna, we're gonna get you the help you need. It's just a normal teenage thing to feel uncomfortable in your body. Maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. And with that, I'll begin the interview with Professor John Whitehall. And I began by asking him if gender transitioning amongst uh, school age students uh, was as big an issue as the media and some groups would make out. I, I recollect when I first became aware of this phenomenon, which was in 2015, um, having been a general paediatrician for a number of years, I polled uh, friends of mine, 28 in fact, uh, paediatricians, and I said, have you ever heard of this? What, what do you think? Cumulative years then of 931 years of practice, they could only remember uh, about 12. And 10 of those they remembered because of the comorbid psychiatric condition and two because of the associated uh, sexual abuse. In those days, uh, we used to teach students and we were aware ourselves that uh, if a young person was saying they're of the opposite sex, you need to work out, are they escaping from abuse at home? So from that very rare um, prevalence of it, and that's corroborated by other studies. So it was very rare in those years, but now uh, you wouldn't know what the actual prevalence was because it's out there as a kind of a... Um, social contagion some people would say uh, it's like a psychological fad but I don't saying that I, I mean it's communicative it's a psychological issue it's spread from one to another but I'm not minimizing the suffering uh, involved self-harm in the form of cutting in the form of uh, starvation or self-poisoning or burning doesn't seem to quite be as prevalent uh, but uh, gender dysphoria is do you think it's taken over perhaps as a form of uh, self-harm in order to to escape something it certainly is characterized by its association 
this comorbid association with uh, with with mental disorder in in children. Indeed, the Lancet, that uh, that journal from England, uh, was considering just the other week, uh, why is there such a rise in anxiety and depression uh, in adolescents these days, in particular girls? Now, that's a, that's a question I can't answer. But in association with that mental instability, uh, this phenomenon has occurred. M- many of them are autistic. It's a sort of a neurodevelopmental problem. Um, that, too, is more common now than it used to be. So I, I don't understand the reason for this. John, when I was 15, I tried to commit suicide by taking my mother's sleeping tablets. Um, I didn't take enough of them, thank goodness. But I'm certainly glad that when I went to the hospital, the staff didn't say, oh, look, we're going to affirm your decision. You're 15 and, um, you know, it's a legitimate decision. We're going to um, just give you a a needle um, to put you out of your misery and uh, you can rest assured that your decision has been affirmed. I'm certainly glad that didn't happen. Yes, indeed. I mean, they have come to this diagnosis themselves with the help of friends, the media, and as we are saying before, the web and everything. They've come to this diagnosis. There's a certain notoriety about it these days. It certainly gets you noticed. You certainly can create a fuss at school, um, and, and you can even become the cheerleader at school. Uh, and and you don't really understand the future. No no child of that age really understands the maturity of sexuality or gender of these. They say they do, but uh, we don't allow them to make decisions of anywhere near that consequence, such as tattooing themselves or driving a car or joining the army. Or buying a bottle of gin at the bottle shop. Exactly. We don't trust them with that. But here we trust them with this clamour uh, this painful clamour, because it causes all sorts of trouble if you try to give it, if you try to object to it, and therefore they get their own way. And this is a tragedy, hmm. and end up growing a beard that they regret and so forth, uh, and are sterilised in the process after the surgery. And and what then? John, I'm just going to play you the words of a, a trans activist um, with a a message on uh, Twitter. Uh, Here uh, are his words. Here are the actual facts. Fact. Medical professionals are not giving puberty blockers to children who have not reached puberty. Fact. Puberty blockers are fully reversible. John, are puberty blockers fully reversible? This is an exceedingly frustrating thing because, no, they're not reversible. And there is abundant literature um, to, to prove that. Uh, from rodents to animals. Now, people will say, well, you, you, why are you basing it on animal studies? Well, every other medical thing is based on animal study. If you give, a, a, a like a sheep, a new drug and it drops dead, well, you don't pursue that line of treatment. Now, in sheep in particular have been given puberty blockers around that peripubertal time, and then they did MRI studies on their brains, found that the limbic system, which is in the midbrain area, and it coordinates thinking and emotion and drive and reward and and leads you, therefore, to make the decisions that uh, you think are appropriate to that new assessment of yourself. That was 
hypertrophied in their sheep, and then then when they then they donated themselves to science, so to speak, and people were looking under the microscope and molecular microscope, they found that many 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 genes, the the function of genes was either up-regulated or down-regulated. And these were very basic constituent genes. So what had happened to the sheep that they didn't that didn't make the ultimate sacrifice, well, they were much more behaviorally disturbed. Their memory was disturbed. Did they get better? No. This was a sustained effect. So, So it had effect on the brain of the sheep? That's correct. On the limbic system in particular, and that was reflected in sustained alteration in their behaviour. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why uh, the children's hospitals continue to assert, like this mantra, uh, that that puberty blockers are safe and entirely reversible. When they that they, they can look up the literature, if I look up the literature, they could do it. Yes, interestingly, uh, I contacted the Royal Children's Hospital uh, Gender Service in Melbourne with the idea of talking to Associate Professor Michelle Telfer, uh, asking them similar, asking her similar questions that I would ask you. Um, but um, no, I was told that there was no one who could speak to me at this time. Um, I then contacted the Maple Leaf House in Newcastle, a transgender support service. And I was told that they'd get back to me, and I rung them again. Uh, but of course, they didn't get back to me. Now, what about the the sex, the cross sex hormones, estrogen and and testosterone? Are people given enough information about that? With regard to the cross sex hormones, sure. The few the the. Children's hospitals, they'll give you a whole list of complications. Yeah, you can get thrombosis, you can get other things and other things. But they never mention, and this is an odd thing, they never mention the studies by Hushoff, Pohl and others, uh, and they found that if you put adult males on oestrogen by MRI studies measuring, actually measuring the distance, the brain shrinks at a rate 10 times faster than aging full stop now you never hear that can you imagine the fuss and if one branch of the medical profession or oh, forgot to tell you that people's brains shrink at a rate 10 times faster than aging after only four months can you think of the fuss so this is for a boy transitioning to a girl um, when they're given estrogen that was males on estrogen the girl the testosterone, their grey matter, the zones increased in size. Now, nobody knows at a molecular level because you can't hold these people down and take a brain sample off them. Nobody knows what the actual effect is, but they have measured the effect on the MRI. But they don't even talk about that, you see. And what are the age limit restrictions on transitioning? The, the guidelines, the Australian guidelines put out by the Children's Hospital did away with the age limits, except they were mentioning you shouldn't have surgery under the age of 18. But essentially, um, there is no there is no age limit to it. 
and what their health department is advising, say, the 84 doctors in New South Wales who are doing it, is that you can start the hormones at basically at any age in that area um, as long as you have agreement by the child and by both parents. If you have contest between the parents, uh, then that has basically has to go to court. So this this boy th thinks he's a girl, and uh, he's puberty blocked, and he wants to go ahead with it. Now he's say twelve, and all the other girls around him are getting breasts. Worse when he's fourteen, everyone's got breasts, and he hasn't. And he's the one wearing a dress. And he's the one. You see, there's the, the argument out there by these people. Well, you're just being cruel now, uh, not to give hormones uh, because uh, you, he's standing out as a sort of a breathless, uh, immature girl. You're listening to the first of the Filtered Podcasts. My name is Phil Dye and I'm talking to Professor John Whitehall, a, a paediatrician with over 30 years experience. John, in my research, uh, I searched through many articles and found that 69% uh, of all individuals who are transgendered had uh, a ACE trauma, childhood trauma score of three or four. That means that they had had events of childhood trauma in their life, uh, at least three or four of them. Um, th that trauma could be childhood sexual abuse, it could be physical abuse, it could be uh, a parent with, a, with depression, etc. Um, when a, a young person goes to transition in Australia... Are these causes of it, are these um, events of childhood trauma, which may still be going on, a child could still be being abused in the family situation, are they investigated and dealt with before gender transition is considered? Well, you would hope it would be looked at in depth before you took this massive medical intervention, but I'm not comforted by that. Um, there is a report from Western Australia that I'm involved with it just at the moment. And what they are saying is that uh, normally there is this process of assessment of psychological problems, but uh, these children may be directed uh, first to the endocrinologist. So you, you can imagine they, they got the girl who, who was really insistent and the parent is going along with it. And, and you can imagine people saying, well, gee, we better maybe put her on the give in and uh, put her on the cross-sex hormones and so forth. It is not formalised that that should not occur as it is in Finland. Here, there is freedom, as far as I can see, to cut short the diagnostic process and the sort of cognitive therapy process um, to reorientate the person uh, with the chromosomes in which, with which they were born. And John, you mentioned Finland, and by anyone's measures, Finland is a very progressive country. Uh, what are they doing differently, and, and how did they get to this state of doing things differently and i was speaking with one of their uh, psychiatrists um, just recently and that is in fact what she was saying uh, they were astonished by this rise of 
mentally disordered girls who had heard that they or learned that they were boys and they were looking therefore and insisting uh, that they pursue the cross-gendering pathway and when they when they looked more closely at it they were astonished at how affected these children were um, like really doing badly in life uh, staying at home not, not, not socializing doing badly at school really in a general kind of slough of of mental disorder and then they hear this kind of siren call that the answer is to be found in becoming a boy and how easy is it to find doctors who will begin gender transitioning with children from an early age uh, there are 84 general practices and uh, well, practices in new south wales alone uh, which has set themselves up in order to help people transgender. And there is no age limit that I can see there at all, uh, which would restrict them, nor, as far as I can see, is there any obligation to undergo uh, any kind of investigative, therapeutic uh, psychotherapy. None. So it's like the horse has come out of the stable and, and we, now we don't even know where the horse is. So before a child is going to have uh, hormones, either estrogen or testosterone, um, their puberty has to be blocked and they take puberty blockers um, so that they're a blank slate and the, and the hormones can then do their, do their job. At what age can someone start puberty blockers? Well, the recommendations, but again, these are recommendations. These are not sort of uh, laws. The recommendation is that you would start puberty blockers when the child reached Tanner stage two of puberty, which is uh, development of breast buds in a girl um, and, and, and some enlargement of the testes in a boy. Now, that's a very, very, uh, uh, that's not rocket science to actually measure those things. The youngest one in the records uh, was, was 10 years old. Now, that was a, a boy, a natal boy, um, and, you know, who knows? Did, did, they, did they feel his testicles to see whether they were a bit bigger or not? Um, he had put up a significant argument that he was a girl before that. Uh, that boy record of having uh, diagnosed or been diagnosed with mental disorder, um, of significant amount of depression and so forth. Um, but whether they looked at the trauma or whatever, I, I don't know about the trauma, but yes, there were associated comorbidities. Uh, John, look, one final question. If a, um, a young person transitions, and um, later on in life, perhaps they get to the age of 20 and 21 and they decide that this is not for them. They've got continued psychological problems that transitioning hasn't cured them, changed them. Um, and they wish to then detransition and, and go back and they're very angry about it. And they decide they're going to sue the doctors that did this. They're going to sue the education departments that let it occur on their watch. They're going to even sue their parents. Um, is this something that could happen, that we could see this um, avalanche of um, cases against institutions? Well, of course it could happen. We've been, we're, I, I wonder why it happened already. The, the, the court, 
court case, the High Court case in Australia, set the precedent for this was by a Mrs. Whitaker against an ophthalmic surgeon, Dr. Rogers. Um, and uh, he inadvertently failed to tell Mrs. Whitaker of the one in 14,000 chance that operating on the bad eye would so influence in an autoimmune type way the good eye um, that blindness might occur. So the court de declared that a, a doctor has the awesome responsibility to explain properly and fully and be satisfied that everything is explained um, of, of regarding complications that might occur one in 14,000 that had they known about those things, they wouldn't go ahead with the treatment. Now, how can that possibly happen? They're, these people are saying uh, puberty blockers are safe and entirely reversible. Well, already for 10 years, it has been known in sheep that that's not so. John, thanks for talking to us. I know we'll cop some flack for this episode, but it is the, the well-being of children that we have in mind. It's a miserable, awful, sad problem and the children are being caught up in this and uh, my heart goes out to them because uh, they're obviously suffering children and they're going to suffer more i mean irreparable changes to their brain and certainly to their breast to their body and everything like this uh, is the pathway that they are being encouraged to to walk down now that is a really really sad thing and that was professor john whitehall a paediatrician with more than 30 years' experience. So, what can be done about all this? I think the, the medical staff, the parents, uh, the, the education bureaucracy, who obviously aren't asking the right questions, their heart's probably in the right place, and they believe very much in what they're doing. However, when our health system, our education system, our university system and our media get hijacked by progressive extremists and the spokespeople for those groups, then we know that there is a problem. Well, perhaps one of the first um, steps would be for other parts of the rainbow flag to have a chat to the transition community and say, yes, look, we're all very happy to be in this rainbow flag, but I think there's one part of the transition story uh, that is more a nightmare than a fairy tale. Um, this idea of transitioning for children while they're at school and under the age of 18. They can't drink, they can't go and gamble, they can't get a tattoo, but they can go and change their gender. There seems something very wrong with that. And other uh, parts of the rainbow flag can certainly uh, have a influence in this. What else can, can be done is that the media can play uh, a more balanced part. Uh, I personally call on the ABC to have an uh, article on gender detransitioning. They're all very, very fine at this uh, gender-affirming angle but the idea of gender detransitioning is seems something they're not going to touch if we are going to avoid one of the darkest times in a medical history then we have to stop this promotion of gender transition to the under 18s and school age kids 
We've had many dark days in medical history. One of the darkest was with uh, thalidomide, a drug that was given to pregnant women to stop their nausea. Um, Worldwide, it resulted in the birth of 10,000 babies who were extremely um, disabled, uh, born with no arms and legs. And an Australian doctor, William McBride, Uh, discovered that this was being caused by the drug thalidomide, which was being widely prescribed here in Australia and around the world. A disaster. Again, um, a little bit later on, they stopped the lobotomy program, which was where a Dr. Freeman um, would do lobotomies. Now, a lobotomy was a... um, He used an ice pick, actually, to go through the eye uh, in order to carve out parts of the brain which were causing mental illness. Uh, He did this with children, he did it with adults, he did it with the sister of the then President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, who had a mental illness. He did it, the poor woman then could not eat, talk or walk and lived out the rest of her life in various asylums. So there has been many medical disasters in the past 100 years and it's highly likely that the transition the gender transitioning of young people under 18s, school-aged children, within the next 20 years will be one of them. And we'll be looking back at this time as one of the darkest periods in world medical history. I'm going to um, let a detransitioner, Kat Cattinson from the USA, just round up this episode. My name's Phil Dye. I'll see you again soon. Some very loud voices, uh, you know, trans activists within the community are really speaking for people who are not trans identified and trying to basically construct the narrative about all of society based on like the small minority group. And I think that's really dangerous for, you know, young impressional people 